This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show, presented by YouTube and YouTube TV, the new home of NFL Sunday Ticket. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend Nate Tays. Nate, how you doing, buddy? I'm I'm doing great and also extremely hungry now because we just, we just talked pizza for the last <laughs> like 30 seconds going into the show. And it's like, okay, here we go. Three, two, one, here we go. And then right after we just talked about pizza and what was it, 10 slices or a dozen slices? That you I had 10 slices of pizza <laughs> ten yesterday. I, it was justifiable Congrats. because there was the pizza fest that they have in Chicago. It's over at the new Salt Shed music uh, venue, which is like a beautiful outdoor little patio space. There was 20 Chicago pizzerias. There were 40 over two days, but there were only 20 yesterday. And you get a ticket and you get to try 10 of the 20. And it was great. My mom came down. It was like my birthday. It was to celebrate my birthday a little bit. And it was fun. It was a a great. Thank you. I'm old as hell now. So it was great. But I'm definitely feeling it. I'm a little tired, a little little worn down, a little little weighed down today. But the joy I have every time we get to talk about the NFC North will buoy me through this entire episode. This is our first episode we ever did. Yeah. On the Athletic Football Show feed was the NFC North preview yep. in 2020. Yep. Things are very different three <laughs> years later in only a good way, but always love doing this episode, specifically doing it with you. Even when we've had a rotated, rotating group of co-hosts, the mm. NFC North has always been your show because it has to be. It's, this, it's this, is, this is us. Show. It really is. The NFC Central Redux. It, it's... I like that's why uh, Yannick and Gakwe will always be in my head because we had to re- we had to right. add on we had to do a, a additional recording and that's when I was like my introduction to media like oh we have to do this now like I have to pay attention to the news and like react <laughs> to it right away it was a great learning experience but yeah this the NFC North will have always a special place first episode I felt and even when we did all the other preview episodes in prior years that this was the baby. This is usually like the last episode we would do too, right? This would kind of well, like it was, break- it was first often, but I wanted to, I did it last this year because okay. I wanted to go to all those teams, and I actually went to the Venture. NFC North teams last, so that's why we pushed it a little bit further into the calendar, but definitely still number one in our hearts. Okay, it's the so, bottle going into the season, breaking that, the bottle right. on the twenty twenty three season. There we go. So let's get into this. Let's start with the Detroit Lions. Our preview for the twenty twenty three Detroit Lions, man. What a difference a couple of year, years make. Speaking of this show and the way we've talked about teams on this show, remember at the end of the 2021 season, we were walking, watching a couple of Lions games and just talking about how enjoyable it was to mm-hmm. watch this three-win team, how hard they were playing, how clearly bought in a lot of the young players were. They just had the feeling of a team that was headed in the right direction. Yeah. A year and a half later, a little less than two years later, this team is plus 135 to win the NFC North. They are the favorites in the division. They are playing the Chiefs in a nationally televised game against the yep. defending champs to open the season, and no one's even blinking. No one. This is the dream. They've pulled off this rebuild that has made them both immediately relevant, but beyond that, genuinely exciting. When your team is tearing it down and trying to build it back up, the Lions' process over the last two years in terms of what their expectations were and what they are now, this is exactly what you want at the end of that road. Man, it, even with the hire originally, and it was kind of a – it was just kind of a quirk of the hiring yes. cycle of that season. And 
Whatever we kind of talked about him, we're like, thank you. Okay, we'll keep an eye on him. At least he's interesting. At least he's unique. At least he brings something different than what we see. He's not another, uh, no offense to the guys, because I know a few of them, but the the Shanahan tree guys that all look like guys I took, you know, business classes with at Wisconsin. And so it's just these, like, that. it was just a breath of fresh air in a different ways. And who knew how it was going to go? The Lions kind of could go in any, so many different directions. It's the Lions. Uh, my dad was undefeated against the Lions. He was, <laughs> he had one true winning season in four years. Like that's kind of like how I remember the Lions from those days, the early two thousands. But I, it's just the good feelings with this team, a kind of an identity, like a lot of just tough players, smart players and balanced players, especially on offense, I would say. And then we'll see we'll talk about the defense in a minute, but they're trying to get that identity on defense as well, though. And you can at least when they sign guys, like even when you look at receivers they've signed over the last couple of years for undrafted free agents, every single time I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Cause they're all just a certain body type. Like they're just a certain mindset of how they play a lot of big bodied, dirty work guys. And then even their star receiver, Amon Ray St. Amon Ross St. Brown, who we'll talk about plenty. I'm sure he kind of epitomizes that he's like a super efficient, super dirty work, does all the little things types of guy. And he's really good at it. And that's kind of cool that their star skill player is that, <laughs> is that, and that's the lines. And that's the identity that this team takes where all the positions are like that. So just a, just a fun team to talk about because of that, because they have that type of identity that they've built this last couple of years. This isn't a, we'll talk about the offense here first. This is not a group yeah. that it, it's not a good story. It's not a feel good story from last season. They were truly elite. They were truly yeah. one of the best offenses in the yeah. league. It wasn't an overperforming offense. There was no caveat or qualifier no that luck. you would have to attach to their offense last year. Well, there's some, which we can get into. Ooh, but okay. there's no like, eh, for this reason, you know, like for this kind of team, they were pretty good on offense. They were truly one of the best offenses in football last year. A top five offense by virtually any metric that you can <laughs> judge this stuff by. So as we head into 2023, what is the biggest question that you have about the Detroit Lions offense? All those things like the the underlying metrics are all great. Like they show some sustainability, especially on first and second down. But how does this offense generate explosive plays? That will put you over the top. That is what I'm that's what I'm keeping an eye on. Run game and pass game. Because as much as I even like this run game, and I'll get into it in a sec, uh, that it wasn't explosive whatsoever. Following their bye week, this that's what was a big thing also about this Lions team. This is a great post-bye week team to look at, just as far as all the splits <laughs> with everything. But they're 20th worst in explosive play rate, explosive pass rate, and explosive rush rate. So they were not an explosive team. And if you look at their skill players, it kind of makes a lot of sense. And look at their quarterback, Jared Goff. Goff does, even since Cal, does his dirty work over the middle in the intermediate areas. That's what he does. He doesn't put pushing the ball. Eh. Eh, we'll just say that. But also, their pass catchers, if you just look at this, this is what they're trying to add. This is what the Jameson Williams draft pick was supposed to be, who was suspended for the first six weeks. But this is also what Jameer Gibbs is supposed to bring, mm-hmm. not just in the pass game, but also as a runner. He was an ex- He's explosive as a runner. That is what he is best at. Um, I compared him to Felix Jones. Uh, coming, you remember old Cowboys? He actually Felix? is a very good physical comp to Felix Jones. If you is look he? on Mock Draftable and you look at just size yeah, and traits heading into the draft from the combine, Felix Jones is one of his best comp points. So yeah. uh, there's a couple other guys I want to talk about with, yeah. with Jameer Gibbs a little bit later when we discuss him. It was interesting discussions that I had in Detroit. But the point you're making about the explosiveness to me feels right on. Mine was, do yeah. they have enough firepower to remain yep. elite in 2023? Yes. When you have these sorts of offenses that are elite without the offenses are elite for like three different reasons. In my opinion, you have an elite quarterback, Mm -hmm. which typically helps. 
you have elite supporting cast, elite, all the way across the board, and you have an elite play caller. Mm -hmm. Typically, I think you need two of those three things. And it, the a version with the two, the last two is harder. But the Niners do it every have done it multiple years in a row. That's more difficult to me than having an elite quarterback and elite play caller like the Chiefs do. So the question with the Lions, because Jared Goff is not an elite quarterback, even if he's played pretty well for them. I think Ben Johnson has earned the benefit of the doubt as an elite play caller. Do they have an elite supporting cast? Do they actually have an elite supporting cast when you look at it top to bottom, those other 10, 11, 12 guys? The offensive line is good. It has yes. some really nice pieces. They could be even better this year with maybe a little less rotation at one of those mm -hmm. guard spots. Vitae is back, but they had 17 games from both of their tackles. So is the offensive line maybe the group that you can really rely on? Are the pass catchers the group you can really rely on? Jamison Williams is suspended for the first six games of the year. Jameer Gibbs, like you're talking about, is a rookie coming in here. Yes. Their, Sam Laporta is potentially like a really important part of what they're doing on offense. He's a rookie tight end. Mm -hmm. It is really hard to be a rookie tight end and produce in the NFL. So are we taking away or chipping away at some of the things that would make this an elite supporting cast and potentially keep them in that group as one of the five, seven best offenses in football? I think that is the central most important yep. question. And that, that's, I mean, even our top 10 offenses pod, which everyone should listen to. It's a lot of fun. But also in that pod, that's why I kind of kept them out. Yeah. I, I made them my 10B. It was my caveat. Uh, but, but but 11th. But why I kind of kept on with these hesitations was there's other teams that we say, it's like, oh, this rookie, uh, uh, this guy's going to step and fill right in. And this guy's going to do this. Oh, it's a second round rookie. He's going to help out there. I think why it, that saying that these two rookies, a pass catching running back, that's sub 200 by the way, which is always the thing that you have to keep an eye on with running backs. And Sam Laporta, as you mentioned, the tight end, who is a receiving only tight end. He tries blocking, but he's it was a problem in college. It's going to be an issue in the NFL as well. And he's their 11 personnel tight end. He's yeah. just going to start for them. He's playing which, 40 plus snaps a game. Yeah, That is so much that you're asking of these guys. We have two of them in the NFC North. These yeah. like 245 pound guys, they're going to be starters in 11 personnel. Asking that guy to do all of the blocking that you're asking him to do, yep. plus be a receiver, their heads are going to be spinning. Even yeah. if you are enthusiastic about Luke Musgrave and Laporta, it yeah. is going to be a process so with both of these guys. Yeah, it's teams, and there's another tight end we'll talk about on a different team about there's benefits to wait, letting these guys develop and then plucking them <laughs> and getting them, let <laughs> someone else do the work and get them after year four. There we go. And then it's like much easier, but that's what it is. It's, I, I like Laporta. I, I, my joke was that he was everybody's second favorite tight end because everybody had a guy and then he was the other guy. Everyone goes, have you seen Sam Laporta? And then he ended up being- I loved him, man. When we were watching him, I was, I was like, he's I don't know, man. This guy seems as good as the other guys. Yeah, and, and he tested great and he's like, tough as hell like he's playing injured doing all this stuff great teammate and then he ended up being the second tight end drafted which was kind of funny um but also so that's the pass catchers and, and also the juice of the pass catchers because again jameson williams suspended for the first third of the season cleef raymond's a nice auxiliary piece uh they have josh Rand but after that it's kind of you have to squint you know like and i'm on rest st brown is more of a chris godwin type than a vertical vertical guy so it's where are you creating those explosive plays in the pass game unless they're designed shots? It's not really a flowy, explosive pass game as well. So that, that's where we're kind of limited here. 9.7% explosive play rate down the second half of last season when they were one of the best five offenses in the league. That ranks 24th among mm -hmm. all the offenses in the league. 
they grinded out first downs. They're very good at it. It's great. This team, this team got twenty first downs on fourth down last season, which was the third highest rate, which is the third highest number is, in the NFL. It's like a positive because you're like hell yeah going for it dan campbell way to go and then a negative because it's, it's a tough way to live yeah it's yes. a tough way to live yeah so i think that they need to be ultra if they're going to live in the same world where they're not going to be able to be that explosive especially without jamison williams early on or if jamison williams doesn't come on it's right. not as if jamison williams has been some gangbuster performer he, in training camp one and catch on nine targets glowing. last year him, yes. him and, and penny sewell finished with the same amount of receptions last year uh, that's so factoid. if that's going to be a, a concern even when he is playing yeah. and you're not going to have that explosive element we like likely frame it as a role player nice. but if that's going to be the most explosive receiver you have in your receiving court right. it's just a tough way to live so it you is. need to be ultra efficient and ultra efficient on the ground and this team wasn't that good running football right. last year they were 18th in early down rushing success rate yep. you hope that with one season under their belts, and again, a little bit more continuity in the interior of the offensive line, that that can be better this year. I asked yeah. Ben Johnson about this because I was really curious. They they run so much stuff. They have the oh. most varied run game in the NFL. Yes, they do. Got some stats once you're done talking so, so about lay, it. it so a, lay those out right now okay. because I think that they're going to be useful they're, in this conversation. They're, they're the, I looked this up on SIS. They're their only offense with 40-plus carries and four different run concepts yes. or run schemes. The only one. And the outside outside of the main run, run or sorry, outside of a draw, all the other main run schemes, I won't list them off off, but just all of them outside of one, they had double digit reps in, which is sounds kind of like, oh, okay, 10 plus plays. That's ridiculous to major to like, that's like having a pitcher that can throw eight pitches at you. And that's, that's, Here's that's the diversity. Question. Can all eight pitches Master be good? Ma- Jack of all that, trades or master of none problem. kind of thing. And I, yes. I think that they looked at the offensive line that they have and the athleticism specifically. Yep. All these guys are great pullers. They're good on the move. And your gears just start grinding as a coach. Yep. Like, oh, we can do this and we can do that and we yes. can do this. And so what they do every week is they pick 20 runs that are in the game plan. And yep. they start to hone in on those every single week. But they're plucking from such a wide menu that I wonder if the menu is too wide. And you, we can talk about some of the drawbacks and benefits of this. Having yeah. such a varied run game and a complementary play-action game where there's always something tied to the runs, yeah. it makes you very hard to defend. But I think it does probably have an impact on how consistently effective those base runs in their offense are. And and this is where talent in the O-line game can help. And this is why they can get away with Penny Sewell can just do anything. They like have him pull and do all these things. But just what you're speaking to, I also noticed that had an effect on the running backs is mm-hmm. that they didn't, they, it's a, that's why zone teams are zone teams is because the running back gets a feel for the blocks as well. Oh, I know my left guard and center double team this way. So I know just lean a little bit and then cut back on it. It's a feel thing. And so when you have, so it affects the running backs too. And especially when you have a running back like DeAndre Swift, who's explosive, but his vision is it's, it's bad. I would say not even below average. It's bad. So maybe that's an argument for why it could potentially be better as well. Because yes. Swift is, while he's gifted athletically, Very explosive, there yes. are nuances to his game that I think yeah. they were frustrated with last, last exactly. year. So can David Montgomery give you a little bit more pop while yeah. being maybe a little bit more of a nuanced runner than the guys yes. they had last season? So there they, are reasons on both sides yeah. of this stuff. But in the aggregate, I think that there is reason to be not concerned because I have a mm-hmm. lot of faith in the people running this offense, but reason to have some kernels of doubt about where that explosiveness is going to come from if they're not ultra, ultra efficient. It's just harder to live that way. And they did it, it once, but doing it again, even if you have a lot of faith and a lot of 
respect for the people yep. pulling the levers, calling the plays. It, it just can be a little bit diff- the, more difficult. And just before anyone kind of goes, well, you guys are really complimentary about the Bengals for doing this type of offense. The thing with the Bengals is I know what their upside is. I know that at any time they can just go, oh, we have Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. They and still Tyler had Boyd. explosive plays last yeah. year. But they just didn't it, live off it, of them. It, they didn't live off of it. And so I'm just saying, I'm just kind of going, why you need to be able to live in both worlds? Because there's defenses and other teams that are going to take one away once it comes down to it. So not all of a sudden when uh, you face a defense that can just kick your ass up front and just squeezes everything down low. Just look at what the Bucks' offense looked like last year. That and that's the ultimate downside. But I'm just saying that's what it feels like, and so that's why you want room to breathe, and why this is it's a huge question mark for this team that they have to answer at some point this season. The, the thing you said about being lucky or unlucky, they only turned the ball over 15 times last year. That was the fewest in the NFL. That's not happening again. Mm. Even if you have a conservative ball control offense, Two you're not turns. turning the ball over 15 times this year. So yep. there are going to be some bounces of the ball that maybe don't go their way and then that becomes more difficult to be hyper efficient so the dials are going to have to be a little bit different this year how they arrive there we'll see but i i think that in order to be a top five offense again they are going to have to be a little bit more explosive and have a little bit more firepower the question becomes do they have those guys on the roster when it all is said and done yep biggest question about the detroit lions defense in your mind uh that's kind of a two-parter that doesn't really narrow it down. I said, can the pass rush continue to get better? And can they cover anyone? That That's really what it comes Don't down seem to. like two important questions. Right? And that's why I kind of I laughed even reading my like what I wrote down. I was like, wait a, way to go, Nate. Way to really just narrow this down. Uh, this is why, every, this is why they, everyone listens to us. This is uh, – but when I uh, watch – Everyone this might defense, be strong. Everyone. <laughs> a few thousand <laughs> my mom. nerds. Hi, mom. <laughs> they, but honestly, it's – when you watch this defense, uh, the pass rush, I, I, I think I liked more – upon rewatch and feel as I kind of just kind of wrote, really looked at it. And maybe that's they were third in pressure rate in the second half of last season. I third. Yeah. They're top, top 10 with only four pass rushers as well, which is a, a good underlying number to look at when a team, how they look when they don't blitz James Houston coming out of us nowhere kind of really helps when your day three pass rusher also just becomes like goes supernova for six weeks. Uh, but coverage wise, it just, they run a defense that acts like they have dudes and I'm very curious if they have any semblance of dudes. <laughs> Why do you say that? Just the amount of man coverage that they run? A lot run? of man coverage, yeah. a decent amount of blitzing. Uh, but even this pre- – it's not toned down. It looked nothing different this preseason. preseason. They were almost two-thirds man coverage this preseason. Wow. Almost two-thirds. And that's – I just watched one game, um, one of their preseason games, and I was just – I think they were man the entire – I think I watched the first half. They were man in every snap that I watched. Second and half of last season, it was 53% man coverage on third down, which was the highest rate in the NFL during the yeah, second half of the year. And what gets me is certain run – this team was not good on defense. <laughs> First off, I also want to say that. Uh, last year, it, although they improved in the second half, it still was like you know below average. And they yeah, gave it went up, from, I think, the 30th best defense in the league to like the 23rd best defense. And I remember it was notable. I think I brought it up on the pod. It was notable. Gotta, it because was when wrong. you have a really, really good offense, being at least 23rd just, just, made just them a potential 20th. playoff team in the NFC. Correct. Correct. You just want elite in one unit and tolerable in the other unit. And But it's like they gave up 107 explosive plays last year. <laughs> the, the league average was 75. Like they, they're dead last in explosive play rate and explosive pass rate following the bye week last week. They, it's just not sustainable. And and so that's where they want to have these ambitions. They need to get better. And yes, they brought in reinforcements, though. That's what you have to say. They added Cam Sutton solid. Mosley is on, on pup already. 
But yes. the other pieces that they add, and Brian Branch and, uh, and uh, Chauncey uh, Garner-Johnson, I am interested to see how those guys play out and how they use them because I think they need explosive plays for their defense. They're low in TFL rate, low in, you know, okay in sacks, but they need big plays for the defense, create turnovers. But how they're living right now, it's, it's going to be tough, you know, being in that man coverage world. Have they done enough? Yeah. That, that's, my, that's my question because you're right. They have some reinforcements, but this was a bad defense last year. Yeah. So you go get CJ Gardner Johnson, you go get Emmanuel Mosley, you go get Cam Sutton, and you go get Brian Branch. Like, okay, yeah. we have remade our secondary. What is that going to look like? And the answer right now is that Brian Branch is in the slot where they had some options based on who they had yeah. signed. CJ Gardner Johnson and Kirby Joseph, who was a third round pick last year and played very well for a third round rookie in that defense. That's your safety spot. You feel good about it. You do. At corner. Cam Sutton is a very solid player. He, he got a worthwhile contract in free agency to be one of their outside corners. And like you said, Emmanuel Mosley's on pup. So now it's Jerry Jacobs again there at the outside corner spot, who I like as a, wow, Jerry Jacobs is a fun player on a bad team. But in the aggregate, it's not like they added all this star power to the right. secondary. Hopefully they will be better, but how much better? And then you look at the front seven, they didn't do anything. Nothing. They drafted Jack Campbell in the first round right now. Chris Barnes is slated to be a day one starter next to Alex Anzalone, a linebacker. I think that says more about the offseason Chris Barnes had than about Jack Campbell. But they're relying on the same group up front, the same group. Romeo Aquara is healthy again, so yep. and he did, only played a few games last year. So maybe that's one area where you can get a little bit more. But this is going to be Aiden Hutchinson, who I think is an ascending star. I think uh -huh. he is a very, very good player. But other than that, it's a lot of role player type guys. Yeah. John Kaminsky and Josh Pascal, who are like 275, 280 pound tweeners in their defense. James Houston, like you mentioned, is kind of just a pure situational pass rusher. Who's Charles Harris. He yeah, had a good preseason, don't get me wrong, but he's Charles Harris. He's a super role player. Yes. Yeah. And just, they got Charles Harris is their other edge guy, and he's yeah. somebody that you know was available for next to nothing a couple of years ago. They've done this where they've kind of picked guys off the scrap heap and gotten more out of them, but more out of them is all relative. Yeah. So you look at the pieces up front and you think, is this the type of group that can affect offenses at a playoff contender-like level? And I just don't know the answer to that yet. Maybe Aiden Hutchinson is so good that everything else kind of gets lifted around them. And Kaminsky's an underrated player, and we'll see what happens with Pascal in year two, all that kind of stuff. But have they done enough is my central question, and I just don't know. And we're not going to know until nope. we get into the season and see what it looks like. Yeah, that that's it. Is just have they done enough? Because they're not changing what they did. That that I think is the underlying thing. It's not like this defense. I was like, oh wow, they spent this whole offseason using the pieces in different ways. I was like, there it is. There's man coverage and why it's. I think uh, why I think I was about to say this was I think in the preseason game against the Jags, this is what a little bit was a little concerning to me. It was certain runs were getting after this Lions defense that were the same runs that were getting after the Lions defense last year. And the run the same defense books. is so. It, I, it's exactly what I was thinking about. They were 27th in run defense success rate. They was, didn't add any pieces to the front seven, <laughs> and they played exactly the same. It wasn't a front change or anything. So it was, you know, it's man coverage and certain looks because the safety's locked on the tight end, yada yada yada. But the Jags got after him the same plays that were getting after him at the end of last year, and so that's like, oh, that's not what I want to see. Like I wanted to see maybe like, oh, they get into this look, they have a check or something changed. But I will say positives though. 
I'm high on Brian Branch. I really like him. And I think he's I think he's gonna be a really fun player. And there's certain aspects that I'll get into about him on a different answer. Uh, but is that he is a guy that I, I am excited to see. So it's, they have interesting guys, but it's just the whole picture is the sum of their parts is kind of just not not really overwhelming me. Ceiling on defense and where that lands, I think is an important question because is the ceiling on offense as high as it was last year? Can they yeah. get to that point? So if the ceiling on defense is average and the offense settled somewhere in the back half of the top 10, you're a fine football team. You might win the NFC North, mm-hmm. but breaking through against the real teams in the NFC, can you do that with a team yeah. that has that construction? I think that yeah. becomes the question. And that's a frustrating thing. Once you realize there's another ceiling, you have to break through. <laughs> and but go, that's oh, how it is. No, that's and how so, it is. And I think that is that's an important consideration with this yes. team. We're the the public is trying to push them through that ceiling, but maybe they're at a place where they don't even think they're ready for that ceiling. Right. Are we getting ahead of ourselves I, as a general football watching body and a football loving body about the Detroit Lions this season? I think is the central question. Yeah, I, that's what it comes me? back to. Are yeah, we getting I a think, little? Are, are we? Are we getting a little bit ahead of ourselves? I think I've been throttling the brakes or pumping the brakes a little bit for the last couple months, just because uh, I was excited. I was excited about how they ended last season, but it's just you got to be realistic, and I think that's what it is. I'm trying to throw cold water on myself because I think as the public, people are very excited to kind of anoint the next thing, and they look like one of the next things for a lot of people. X factor for the Detroit Lions. What do you got for me? I had a couple. I went going with the pass catchers. Uh, just everybody outside Amon Ross St. Brown, whether it's the other receivers, it's the rookie quarterback or rookie quarterback, rookie uh, running back. The rookie quarterback's like 30. Uh, rookie <laughs> F only tight end, Sam Laporta. But it's those guys have to hit the ground running. Uh, but I just, the one stat I came across because I think Jameer Gibbs is going to be a central component. I mean, they're making him sound like Marshall Falk. Uh, a central component of this passing attack is okay, since 2002, five rookie running backs have had 90 or more targets. Okay. Saquon Barkley, Reggie Bush, Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, and Najee Harris. Now, the Najee Harris one is kind of a real outlier if you watch that Steelers <laughs> offense. But the other guys, those guys were dudes, dudes to get 90 or more targets. Is that That's how much they're relying on Gibbs is maybe what I'm trying to make this out to be. And so that's what those guys have to step up and we'll see. At Jameson Williams, talking yeah. about oh, yeah. that idea, how, where, you, where are your explosives going to come from? Where How are you going to beat teams over the top down the field? And even just the speed element within the offense. Because you don't have it outside of Khalif Raymond if Jamison Williams is not going to be a consistent contributor for you. So mm-hmm. what is he within this offense and how hot – what is his ceiling? Like what kind of player is he in actuality? Is he just going to be like a field stretcher who doesn't really right. do much for you elsewhere? You spent a top 12 pick on the guy. That's not the only thing that he is and supposed to up. be. Yes, and tra- you traded two picks to go get it. So I, I think that that's easily mine. Who is your breakout candidate for the 2023 alliance? I hinted at this, but it's Brian Branch. Uh, all these rookie uh, run, uh, rookie running back, rookie tight end. I'm going with a rookie slot player. Uh, I think he'll just, he's so smart. He's so versatile. I think he'll come in right away and be not only a contributor, but a plus player. Um, I don't know what his up upside is, but I do think this guy can be just instantly a contributor right away. I also just wanted to say is that, you know, this team blitzed a lot last year. So if you, he's a good blitzer that, I mean, he was awesome. He was a weapon for Alabama. So using him as a blitzer, CJ Gardner Johnson's in the back, he comes down, he's comfortable playing in the slot. Yep. That's one, one thing what I'm talking about where they have to throw new pitches. And I think that is one right there that I could just picture. And I think it's a plus play for them right away. I think it's a great point. Yeah. I'm going with Jameer Gibbs. Yeah. So you mentioned the target number. 
DeAndre Swift got 70 targets in 14 games last <laughs> season. Okay, Jameer Gibbs is going to get 100 targets in this offense. I, I, I truly believe he's going to get 100 targets in this offense. I think they do DeAndre too. Swift is a really good athlete. He, they did not love him as like a choice route runner last year. His instincts just aren't very good. So while he caught a lot of passes and was a high-volume target within the offense, it wasn't within the rhythm of the passing game in the way that you probably want that sort of high-volume back to be. Jameer Gibbs has that. Jameer Gibbs is a very comfortable choice route runner, just a guy that you can use in a bunch of different ways they couldn't with DeAndre Swift last year. That's what I was told when I was up there, at least. So Christian McCaffrey led all running backs with tar- 20 targets of five-plus air yards last season. Mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if Jameer Gibbs topped that number this year, if he got more than those 20 targets of five-plus air yards. Kamara got 39 over a two-year stretch with the Saints, and that is the role that they're imagining mm-hmm. for him. Dan Campbell was in New Orleans when Alvin Kamara was there. So when they've conceived of this role for Jameer Gibbs, I think that is what they've had in mind for him as a receiver specifically. The other name that was mentioned to me was Jamal Charles. Okay. <laughs> John Dorsey was so, in Kansas City. Some when Jamal... high names that they're throwing out yes. here right now. <laughs> but Jamal Charles. For my running back three in this last okay. class. <laughs> Jamal Charles is a sub 200 pound back. Yeah. Jamal Charles was about 5'11", 199. Jameer Gibbs is like 5'10 and a half, 199. So if you're trying to find the right comparison as a guy who can affect the running game, but is a little bit undersized, that'd be the guy that you would go to. And they, we talk about all those runs they ran last year. If you're a gap team, zone runs become your changeup. And they just didn't have that guy who could really kind of hit those runs mm-hmm. as a zone runner last year. They're hoping he can be that. So they're going to really rely on him for that explosive element because without Jameson Williams, especially, he yeah. immediately becomes the most explosive option within their offense or hopefully the most explosive option within their offense so this is me just kind of talking myself into this solely for the lion's sake that he'll be their breakout player because they need him to be it's he ran so many choice routes at college like that's all that's all bill o'brien did like that was like their money third down play so it's the god it's just a lot (laughs) <laughs> it's just it's just i like gibbs too and that's the thing I, I sound like i'm down on him he's so he is explosive and he is a good route, route runner he's got good hands and everything it's just it's just a they lot. put themselves in this position yeah they, they, they drafted him with the 12th overall pick yeah. and didn't do anything else with their pass catching spots outside of right. laporta like they've yeah. put themselves in this spot they, they put themselves in this spot Whew. yeah what a success for the 2023 lions I mean, the guy make the playoffs. Uh, and I actually just said make the playoffs. I didn't even say win the division, but I do think win the division as well. But they haven't made the playoffs since, since what, 2016? And I, yeah, I think that's a huge, huge, huge success for them and a huge goal for them. Because like you said, there's public like anointment, public talk about them. But I think privately, that's a good goal for them as well. I have one in the NFC North. If you, you yeah. can't win it this year. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this is it they are heavy favorites yeah. this is it this is the shot to yeah. anoint to kind of prove yourself as the team in this division and i think that would be success all right the minnesota vikings our 2023 preview for the minnesota vikings what a strange kind of year and a half it's been for the vikings they come in in year one they try to pull off this competitive rebuild is what Quasi Odofo meant that their new GM had coined like it. That. And I'd like say that. they it's like got sports entertainer in the, in the <laughs> rest like <laughs> I, I'd say they got that the competitive part right. Yeah. They won 13 games in year one, 
while finishing 27th in DVOA. 27th. Okay, they get beaten the playoffs by an equally mediocre and happy to be their Giants team. Yeah. And this is where we are now. Is that you know you weren't as good as your record showed last year, but you still want to be a little bit competitive, but you still have to keep an eye on the future because the rebuild part of this is a very real part of it. They got rid of Adam Thielen this offseason. They got rid of Zadarius Smith, Eric Kendricks, these expensive aging veterans. Kirk Cousins is not under contract for next season. They elected not to extend him for the first time in the last couple offseasons. So it's a team with a lot of moving parts that's in transition, but I think still wants to win some football games this year and be relevant in the division and both in the NFC. So for the second straight year, they're trying to pull off this balancing act, and now we get to see if they can do it again. They bring, you know, got Kirk going again. It's kind of like listen to what teams are telling you kind of thing. It's like, okay, so they're, they're chugging along. Uh, I, I think the only line I had on was really uh, there's Mother Earth, there's Father Time, and there's dear old Uncle Regression. And I think that's what they're trying to keep that away. And that's what I think all the moves that they make that we'll talk about is what that's built around. I think it's a smart team. I, I really do. I think Kevin McConnell's a smart guy. And I think that they're a very self-aware team. But I, but it's really hard to go like, we won 13 games. Like, shake it all up. But I think they are smarter and realistic about what they are. Which They I, did I shake a little bit of it up. The, yeah. which I think that's the fact that yeah, they DC, moved on. Yeah, the new defense coordinator. Yeah. Well, yeah. the new defense coordinator, but also just some of the guys they moved on from. They're not trying to squeeze everything they can out of an outdated version of this roster. Right. There was a decent amount of turnover because I do think that there's a level of self-awareness of this is more about 2024 and 2025 mm-hmm. than it is about 2023. I truly believe that they think that. When when he came in, when this regime came in, it, clearing the books and getting back into financial health and making sure that you were starting from a good position by the end of this season into 2024, I think was a priority. They're going to be there. They are going to have Justin Jefferson, some young tackles, hopefully a couple pieces on defense and a lot of money to spend. Recontrol their resources. They want to kind of get it all back under control and get it. Okay. Okay. These are the toys I have to work with from now on. And they've done that. They are yeah. going to be in fine financial health into next year, even with Kirk eating up like $28 million in dead money, and Daniel Hunter yeah. has some has some money too if they don't extend him. So it's not perfect, but they're going to have hopefully $40, $50 million in cap space as they kind of reshape this team. The question becomes, how many games can you win in the meantime? And that's what we'll dig into. Mm-hmm. The biggest question you have about the 2023 Vikings offense. Uh, what does the run game look like? And what? Who else steps up in this offense? Uh, they not only yeah they have Justin Jefferson. Okay, <laughs> we know him. He is the the star. That is what makes this offense. We go. know him. We know him. Okay, it's all the other pieces. The TJ Hawkinson. What's his accelerated role? You know, up role, uptick in everything. Targets, share, um, snap share, everything. What are the other pieces that step up? Jordan Addison, who is the running back that steps up? Alexander Madison. God, I didn't realize that that was going to come out like that. But also, <laughs> <laughs> also, it was like, sounded like a Dr. Seuss thing. Uh, but also just, you know, other players that they have on this roster that I'll talk about. Ty Chandler, who's had a great preseason. Uh, but also the guy in your, the offensive line, we'll also talk about uh, doing positive, positive things about the offensive line, but still some question marks that have to step up. 
but also the signing or the addition that I'm most excited about with this offense. And I, I hate that I'm such a caricature myself is Josh Oliver. It's very telling. It's, it's, it's very, it tells you a lot about what they think and what they want to be. And he's going to be a true weapon for them because of what his skill set is, because he is a true inline blocking tight end. And he is a blocking highlight reel. He is and the, when you have a star, like an actual superstar, you know, number one fantasy draft pick, top three player in the NFL voted by everybody, media players like Justin Jefferson, the role players become so important on the booster effect that has. And just because we know this guy's a 99, how do we just make sure we can use that 99 ability? So like adding a guy like Josh Oliver, because they also have Hawkinson, who they want to make a big part of this offense. They showed that is, okay, how do we free up him as well? This is what a blocking tight end does for the stars. I'll just call them on this passing game or this offense. It's better for play action because Oliver's the why he can stay in and block DNs. He already did in the preseason against the Seahawks. He opens up Hawkinson on first and second down to be the wing move tight end, which is good for him. He's an okay blocker, but you want him on the backside. You don't want you want you don't want you want to save his legs and his reps for the passing game. You, let's just get through on the run game stuff. You make defenses choose their poison. And like who had the big, you know, who, uh, you know, what received the biggest uptake out of 12 personnel was the Vikings passing attack. Uh, That was their passing success rate jumped up like 10 percentage points when they went to, uh, when they got to 12, because it's just making the defense simpler. You have Justin Jefferson, but we have to take advantage of that. We have to take advantage of the looks that we're given. We talk about this a few times with Devontae Adams, Justin Jefferson, other elite receivers that have happened throughout the years. This used to happen to Randy Moss was defenses play cover two and they play cover six. They cloud his side. The Vikings were league average in rushing success rate out of those looks. It wasn't yeah. like they were like top five and just pounded in, took advantage of it. This is a way with through a role player like Josh Oliver to actually take advantage of these looks, take advantage of what the defense is giving you, which sounds so simple. But that's what Oliver with Jordan Addison. That's what this is all about. The sauce. It's not I, simple I because they couldn't do it last year. It's, so it, it's not simple. This team finished dead last in the NFL in the percentage of their runs that went for negative yardage. 25.5% of their runs went for negative yards last year. And it didn't matter if they were 11, 12, 21, whatever. It's a really tough way to live. You look at what the Rams did for years. When Kevin O'Connell was there and Wes Phillips, who's their offensive coordinator, he was the tight ends coach for those Rams teams. 11 personnel. We know this famously. Vikings last year come in. That's the plan. We're an 11 personnel team. That's how we've lived. KJ Osborne, Osborne. Adam Thielen, (laughs) Justin Jefferson. This we, We can do this. They played 11 personnel on 73.5% of their snaps last season. It's the fifth highest rate in the league. But the pieces that they had didn't fit that way of playing. CJ Ham is a good football player at fullback. When they brought in Hawkinson, they have these 12 personnel looks with him and Johnny Munt, and they're trying to figure it out on the fly. And they never really understood how to merge these two different identities personnel-wise with the heavier personnel and the 11 that they were so used to. So instead of tinkering with the 11 personnel identity this offseason, trying to lean back into that, they said, fuck it. We're going to go the other way. So they re-signed CJ Ham. They committed to this idea of having a fullback on the roster. And then the biggest move they made in free agency on offense was to go get a blocking tight end. Mm-hmm. And so now you have a fully crystallized view of what you want your run game to be with these pieces. Hawkinson came over midseason last year. Yeah. So even those run concepts are trying to figure out on the fly. So now you have this 12 personnel grouping and 21 with CJ Ham. Last season, teams played nickel to the Vikings 12 personnel 75% of the time. If teams do that this year, 
they're going to beat the yeah. shit out of them. That, yes. that is the goal. And if you can't, then it's over. Then it doesn't right. matter. But right. having the guys on the field that but can take advantage of teams playing you that way, yep. that is why you go get a Josh Oliver. Because even though Hawkinson isn't a plus-plus blocker, as your second-best blocking tight end, he's Fine. more than good enough. Yes. Yes. So now you have this 12 personnel that's actually 12, which yeah. is not always the case with teams around the league. So if teams are going to play nickel, you grind them into dust. Yep. And now when you play 21, you make the defense simple, hopefully. You get out, them out of those cloud looks, and you have more options to run the ball in 21. And now can you get to, into tempo out of those 12 personnel looks? Can you get into tempo out of those 21 personnel mm-hmm. looks? So the goal for them now is to use these different personnel groupings and these different looks to dictate to the defense more than they could last year that's the plan and we'll see if it all comes together but the way that it was articulated to me makes sense on every different level structurally but what what it looks like in practice becomes a different thing because there are still question marks at some spots it's just hilarious that this is the same stuff my dad's old Vikings teams that I go through with Moss. It's like the same stuff. It's the, everyone's going to run these looks. So how do we take advantage of it? And defenses won't like giving up six, seven yards a pop. Who Think of just who was in this division. Okay. Outside the lines, but okay. But just think of the Packers and the Bears, how they like to play. They, you know, Eberflus <laughs> and Joe Barry, they're going to play with some softer looks, softer uh, uh, coverage shells and everything. So we have to take advantage of that. But if we only get three yards a pop, two yards a pop in the run game, they're not scared. So that's what, no. what we're just both saying is that this is a way to truly weaponize this look. And then the, and then all of a sudden you get single high man coverage or cover three looks with Justin Jefferson on the field. That's an automatic. That's what you're hoping out of the 21 looks. Automatic that's what you win. have to get. It's an automatic win. It's the same rules that these elite receivers get, and they can get that. This is what this is what they're doing. They're picking you. Do you want to die from Justin Jefferson and single high or five, six yards in the run game over and over and over again? That's what That's what they're making defenses bet on. Last season, when Hawkinson came here, they were eighth in passing EPA per dropback after after the Hawkinson trade. Okay. They were fifth in EPA per attempt. Even that eighth was weighed down by Kirk Cousins taking 36 sacks between weeks eight and 18 when Hawkinson got there. That was the third most in the league. So if they, they when they throw the football, they have the pieces to really make this thing hum. Kirk Cousins is a decent enough quarterback with those weapons to have a very good passing game. Protection now becomes the biggest question. Right. And so they need real development from Ed Ingram. Last year was a second-round pick at right guard. Yeah. And Garrett Bradbury needs to play better. Yes. So that is the one thing missing from all of this, this plan, is the development needs to happen with the interior guys. Yeah. They, I also was talking to them about some of the plans they have potentially for ways to help those guys in protection with the backs in maybe some non-traditional ways. So they're very aware of this problem. And that if we get interior protection and we run the ball better, we can be a really good offense. So again, the self-awareness is impressive and the plan is. is smart, but the plan only goes so far until we actually see it. Everybody has a plan until you get hit in the mouth. Yes. And that's, that's again, hopefully but- you're the one doing the hitting now. But again, it's awareness. That's the thing was we, we were like, I, I could see Vikings fans maybe getting annoyed where everyone's like, well, you're going to regress. You're going to regress. You're going to regress. They're aware too, which is awesome because they're trying to shore they know. up. They're, they know. So I love that when I was opposed to a team going like, you know, let's double down. I mean, I was on a 2016 Raiders team that went 12 and four. And I think like we should have been like an eight and eight, nine or seven team based on just points. We were not aware. <laughs> I can tell you how that offseason went. We doubled down on a lot of things. So that's why being aware of these situations is so huge and hearing that. But also just, yeah, 
Ed, I'm a little worried about Ingram. <laughs> Ed Ingram uh, preseason was a little rough as well as last season. Uh, but yeah, it's notable because that that can do a lot in how this offense goes. If you just keep getting inside pressure and just getting Kirk Cousins whacked over and over, does that vertical passing attack just goes away. It's just hard to drop back seven step and long play action stuff if you give up inside pressure. So it, it's just tough. I expect their running game to incorporate a lot of ideas that we see from the Niners in 21 okay. personnel and then in the 21 personnel looks that express themselves as 12 personnel or Kyle Juszczyk's kind of that like H back near the formation. Yeah. Some of the jet motion stuff we see with the tight ends. Yeah. You know, they Now they knew their personnel and they know what team they want to be. I think it sent them back to the drawing board for ideas in the run game in a way that they just couldn't last year before they truly understood the players that they had on their team. It happens with I, year one regimes. It's, yeah, it's just something that you have to sort through in your first season together. And now that they've had some time to think about and reflect, this these are our best players. This is how we use them. I think there's more of a distilled vision for what they want the run game specifically to be. I will be very interested. This is just one last thing that's more of just a note is uh, – when they're in 21 and 12, when KJ Osborne's on the field, how many how many times they run the ball all those looks? <laughs> because he's in there to block. And you're not bringing Addison in to block. They tried it. They ex- they experimented with it with the Seahawks. And they're like, okay, we can't get through with this. So I, I just want to see if that becomes a tell for them. It's like KJ Osborne's on the field, run it down their throats because he is a good blocker. So that's just one kind of note I had. I'm Something I'm keeping an eye on for the first like six weeks. Biggest question you have about the Minnesota Vikings defense in 2023. How do these pieces fit in a wildly different scheme, but also just how they sort out the DB room? I, I'm really just interested to see who steps up there, how they get weaponized. I think they have a really interesting DB room. I actually think they also have some interesting pass rushers. Um, uh, just, I mean, Daniel Hunter is a weapon. He's just, you know, been on and off the last few seasons. Marcus Davenport is a weapon. Like since 2020, Daniel Hunter is tied 25th in uh, pressure rate with Brian Burns, and Marcus Davenport is 18th. He's sandwiched in between uh, <laughs> Max Crosby and Aaron Donald. So it's just, but he's also played half of the amount of snaps that those guys have played. That's that's why Marcus Davenport is available for free agency like this on a shorter deal. So, but they have some pass rush juice. They have an interesting DB room. They're going to be very aggressive in man coverage. What, what makes you say they're an interesting DB room? Because all I see is <sighs> a lot of youth. Oh, I I think they go. I mean, Harrison Smith, Cam Bynum, and John Mattel- Josh Metellus is kind of like an interesting trio, I think. I think that's I, but, okay. The, the safeties have experience, but we're, yeah. try, we're they're trotting out a Caleb Evans and Makai Blackman, who's a third-round rookie at those two outside I think maybe, corner spots. When I use DBs, I think maybe, maybe more safeties. <laughs> so, um, But maybe, yeah, no, that's good. Corner-wise, uh, is a totally different story. I'm talking about the spine of this defense with okay. uh, the safeties and the dime looks. Like that is what, maybe that's what I should say. I'm interested in the dime defense, meaning the four DBs that aren't the outside corners. Uh, maybe that's how specific. Do you think the outside corners are important in a man heavy scheme? You can double, I guess. So maybe that's what they're, they're going to lean on. Uh, I mean, that's what Flores does. They'll help them out. But it's, that's, that's why it's my question mark though. It's like, how do they use these guys? Cause this is, you're asking a lot. There's two defenses in this, this conference, this division. They're like, yeah, we're going to go, man. It's like, who do you got at corner? <laughs> I like Byron Murphy, you know, but it's like, it's, it's a lot. It's a big ask from these guys, but I, I also just want to see the blitz looks. Cause I think they have the smart safeties. I just want to see them. So that that's where I'm leaving it at. It's a fascinating change. To go from what they were last year to this is so telling. And we, we referenced this a little bit last week when we were talking about these offensive coaches that were tired of having defenses that they kept getting punched in the face over yeah. and over. This is one of those examples. I yeah. think that Kevin O'Connell was tired of getting punched in the face over and over again last year. So now he's going to be doing the punching. Yeah. 
Yeah, right. He's like, no, I'm tired of this. I want to get my six yard gains. I like six yard gains in a run game. <laughs> so now you have this Vikings team that ran the lightest boxes in the league last year. They used six or fewer guys in the box and like 61% of early downs is the highest rate in the NFL. Brian Flores is Dolphins teams ranked 31st in the NFL in that same metric the last time he was the head coach there. It's just two wildly different yeah. philosophies where you're crowding bodies around the line of scrimmage or you're not. And then the amount of man coverage and the amount of blitzing. The Vikings were 22nd in blitz rate, uh, 23rd in blitz rate on third down last year. They played cover one on 23% of third downs, which is 25th in the NFL. <laughs> the Dolphins played man coverage on 45% of downs the last time that Brian Flores was there. It's just two diametrically opposed offense, yep. defenses. So the question for me becomes, can these guys hold up playing that way? And from everything I heard when I was there, the guys love it. It's oh, just sure. so much. It's so different. It's so much more dynamic as a player. So I think it's created a lot of excitement. But can they hold up playing this way? The other side of this that I thought was particularly interesting is talking to Flores about why he plays this way. I've never asked him this before, and mm -hmm. just kind of talking informally. And there are coaches in the league now that believe offenses will screw up if you make them earn it enough, eventually there will be a negative play. There will be a penalty, there will be a fumble, there will be an incompletion, and you can win as a defense. Flores, I think at his core, believes that offenses will execute. And mm. I think part of that is probably the education of having to play against Tom Brady in practice for all of those years. Say. And so, right. But that's what he believes. I, so you Bill, need Bell, to create... Bill Belichick's line and Saban's line about uh, playing against Dan Marino. That's like that builds out their yeah, whole that, defense. That, that break like, on yeah. the ball shit doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, doesn't work, here, yes. doesn't work. Yeah, that's probably just deep in his DNA. And that's the, that is the New England part of this, but both Brady and Belichick. And so they think we need to create negative explosive plays on defense. So that is in his core. That is not going to change. What I wonder if it is going to change is two things. Now that he's playing with an offensive-minded head coach, mm -hmm. him and Kevin O'Connell in the offseason had some I think, productive conversations about where Kevin was kind of explained to him, this is what is hard for me. This is what makes it really difficult on me that maybe was be a compliment to what you already do. So that perspective from an offensive-minded head coach, Brian Flores has never had that. When he right. was in Miami, the offensive staff was constantly in flux. In New England, obviously, Bill Belichick had so much of a hand in what they did. So I think that perspective is particularly interesting. And the other thing is that when he was in Pittsburgh last year, the Steelers don't play the way that those Dolphins teams did. It's a very different style of defense. So I think that there are a couple little nuggets that, again, are complementary to the way he wants to play that he has taken from what that Pittsburgh experience was. So maybe could there be a timeline here where you get all the benefits of playing this way, plus a couple fewer drawbacks because of the perspective your head coach can bring and some of the experiences you had last year in Pittsburgh. I think that is the optimistic case about why this could maybe be more effective and less gash heavy than some of the moments in Miami were at the end. Yeah. And having players helps <laughs> that, uh, that's, uh, that's also a huge component of all this. Uh, yeah, though it's, I love like fired. There's something about fired head coaches are really interesting to talk about that are like still successful as coordinators. Again, another head coaching spot. I'm sure you have found over the years because they become so reflective and I love hearing kind of like that, like here kind of going like, okay, I'm going to Steelers time and everything that's happened with Flores. So, but I also just think his 
bones or his bones <laughs> as that, far as that, that, that will not that will not change exactly that, that, and that is not going to change i i think he's a great coach and that's what i don't want to just say like uh, like poo poo all over this it's just that i also just have to be you have to be realistic with the horses you there are ways to mitigate it there are but it's just do they have enough guys that can you know make plays in these opportunities you still need players to take advantage of all of that so that is just what's so curious with this group because while it's interesting still don't know what the the, the level that they can play at is I think the goal is you, you're so chaotic that you can make enough happen on defense while right. being really good on offense. That That's the recipe. I don't know if it works, but I think yeah. that's the mindset. One other thing about the defense that's worth mentioning when we're talking about the defensive backs, two names we did not bring up are Lewis Seen and Andrew Booth, who were drafted oh. in the first and second round, respectively, in 2022. Neither of these guys is cracking the starting lineup this year, nope. despite being in year two. That's disheartening. You traded down. We talk about the Jamison Williams pick. That was the pick. You trade down to get those two more. Process. Totally understand it. Mm-hmm. Eventually, guys need to be players as part of that process. And the fact that this was year one and draft one, and those first two picks in their second seasons haven't emerged, that's not great. That and, That is a bad note on which to start. And Ed Ingram's the other second rounder. So yeah. it's, yeah, but no, that's one of these Georgia defenders is going to do something one of these days, but it's honestly, but you look at it, that's very true. Uh, I'm more high on Jay Ward, who they drafted from LSU than I am on scene so far, like just his auxiliary, uh, like his usefulness and versatility. So no, it's worth noting because they need, it, it, you need contributors out of these draft picks as opposed to just being on the bench and being special teamers. That's not why you draft them so high. So it's just a tough way to live again. X factor oh. for the 2023 Vikings. Who do you got? I, I got the run game and overall offensive identity. Uh, that that's kind of what I'm going with here. Uh, the I think the run game, like we've talked about, was simply meh. There was flashes of maybe figuring things out, but I think this discussion that we had with our whole offensive side is why it's a super. I'm very curious, and I actually am a little optimistic with it too. Like I, I think it's going to be a very interesting because of the components they've added. Uh, but I, I, it's an X factor absolutely because it's something I'm going to be watching every week, uh, probably until proven otherwise. I'm excited about the plan, and we'll see yeah. if it comes together. But I'm excited about the plan. Yeah, X factor is not always bad, guys. It's just something. It's it's the biggest circle <laughs> that we kind of have on something. That's what that is. <laughs> I've got Marcus Davenport. Oh, nice. When he's been healthy. And he's been right. He's been a really effective player. It's a worthwhile bet with both him yeah. and Byron Murphy. They, the, If you look at the re- free agents that the Vikings went out to get, it was guys who were hopefully at the beginning of the age curve, not on the other side mm-hmm. of it. Murphy's 25, Davenport's 26. Mm-hmm. So if these guys hit, sign extensions, and you get them for the back half of their prime. So it's not filling stopgap spots it's not getting stopgap free agents that are 31 32 years old you're hopefully getting guys who can be a part of what you're building which i think is a thoughtful way and it was a thoughtful way for them to approach free agency yeah because davenport kind of exemplifies that i like those moves like i actually for a team that's trying to bridge two things those are the types of guys that make sense those are high upside moves i'm with you like yeah uh, you get out of them easy, like no harm, no foul, and like you have a chance to hit a home run. Out of, I, I thought I, I that's exactly those, right. Understood those moves completely. Yeah. So, in Davenport is a guy that when he's been on the field, he's been he's been pretty good. In 2021, yep. he was one of the most effective per snap pass rushers in the league, like you alluded yes. to. So, if he's on the field for 17 games with Daniel Hunter, and they can get one of those yeah. young guys to hit, then it's like, okay, can we be the 20th best defense in the league? And I don't think that that's crazy if he is a plus plus player for them all year. Breakout candidate for the Vikings. This is, I'm calling my shot here. This is, this is, yeah, I'm going with Ty Chandler. 
They're at right now. Right now, they're backup running back. Um, I've seen Madison play, uh, and um, I think he's just fine. I, I really do. I think he's fine. He's fine. Uh, but I think Chandler actually has some juice. Um, I, I liked him coming North Carolina. I think he's looked great in the preseason. He's a good pass catcher. Um, I compared him to Lamar Miller coming out. And oh, I'm kind man. of I'm sticking what a fun with that. player Lamar Miller. Yeah, is. and uh, yeah, I'm not saying a star or anything, but I do think he can take this role and run with it. Especially the the day three running back they took, Dwayne McBride, hasn't kind of really shown as much as I was hoping in this system. But I, I, yeah, Chandler has, and I, I'm gonna call my shot a little bit right here. But I'm, he's gonna be my breakout player for the Vikings. I love that. I love that. He's he definitely has a lot more burst than Alexander, Alexander Madison has. And I think the bet with Alexander Madison is that we don't need to be explosive. We just need to be efficient running the ball. Right. If he can just get what's there, then that works. But eventually that runs out of road. Eventually yeah. you want a little bit more pop yeah, from that position. Block for four and he gets four in your or block for eight and he gets four. You're like, oh man, I, it's, it's the like same conversation to get as the Vikings as the Bengals are having with Joe Mixon. The exact yes. same conversation. Yes. I'm going with Brian Asamoa. Okay. Second year linebacker. linebacker. He's just a heat seeking missile, man. I don't know if he's going to be a plus player overall, but now that he's going to be a starter within that defense, I think he's going to make a lot of splash plays over the course of the season and at least be fun to watch. You know, he'll be, he'll be a chance to blitz. Probably. He'll probably have some guys coming over the middle when he's hot dropping him and uh pace, the undrafted rookie, kind of a interesting, interesting linebacker core. <laughs> it's going to be, give me, I just don't, I don't know what to make of it, but yeah, that, that's a fun one. That's a fun one. What is success for the 2023 Vikings? I said back to the playoffs. Uh, yeah, that, that's all I put it at. They're not resetting. Uh, and they're, it's not like they have a quarterback in waiting or something like really interesting or some move young guy that they need an answer on. So I think they're kind of too good to fail. So I think making the playoffs and continue to figure out the next steps. I don't know how to answer this. It's, their goal, as, as I understood it, is we want to be better even if we win fewer games. We just want to be a better. We're we want we plan to be a better team even if we win fewer games. I don't think that's hard. Ten and seven, they absolutely yeah. could, will be a better team if they go ten and seven this season than they were last year. Mm-hmm. The problem with this whole thing is that if you get the nineteenth pick in the draft, what are you doing? Where are right. you going? You have no path to a quarterback. They have no quarterbacks under contract next year, and this is something they're aware they're aware of. And I think the, this is we talk about this all the time. What are the benefits of being one of those teams that stays consistently competitive? You have these pieces, and then you'll find the quarterback somewhere along the way rather than trying to tear it down. They were never going to tear it all the way down. So now it just becomes a question of what are the benefits of being 10 and 7, and can we find the quarterback somewhere? That's going to be the challenge that they have this offseason because I think they can be a playoff team. The question becomes to what end? You're a playoff team. Now what? So what? And that's going to be the main kind of looming question for this team as it exits out of the Kirk Cousins era, which I think is going to happen after this season. When you said now what, this is not like a professional way to end this point. But when you said now what, they remind me of Finding Nemo at the very end when they escape, the fish escape, and then they're just all in this bubble. They're like, yeah, yeah. Now what? That's that's the 2023 Vikings. <laughs> sorry. It's to, why I was just a little bit surprised. Child, childlike they, wonder of your point, but sorry, that's where my mind went when you said that. It's why I was a little bit surprised that they were not in on Trey Lance. They did not I, in Trey Lance moves because I thought that they when, were a team that would potentially do it. But that's that's a conversation for a yes, podcast. I know. I, we'll talk I, about I, Trey Lance I, when we talk about the Cowboys later. This right week. there. Right there with you. 2023 Green Bay Packers preview. Turn the page, man. Here mm-hmm. we go. Aaron Rodgers era is over. The Jordan Love era is here. So what is this all going to mean? 
Is this a team with all those pieces and all that talent on defense that can compete this year? Does Jordan Love hit the ground running? They've got a lot of youth on offense. There are just so many question marks. If it all comes together, I think that they can be a relevant team in this division and maybe in the NFC in general. But there are just so many things that we have no idea what it's going to look like because we've seen Jordan Love play what a drive a game and yeah, a half like three i mean three drives total there's just so little to <laughs> go off game, of yeah. and yeah. so there're just a ton of question marks it, it's a fascinating kind of step for the franchise because mm-hmm. when i was there just talking to people about this there was an old ted thompson adage that you never cut off opportunities for young players and if you look at the way the packers built their team for a very long time they lived that they didn't mm-hmm. sign outside free agents. So the guys that they drafted just got a chance to play. Corey Winsley was a fifth-round pick, and he was their starting center when he was a rookie. Think about the fourth-round picks on the offensive line that got opportunities for them. That's how right. you find the Josh Sittens and the TJ Langs. They really gave Bakhtiari. those guys – Bakhtiari is the same deal. They yeah. gave those guys – he was a rookie when he, was, he, when he started. They gave those guys shots, and they lived with the ups and downs because in their mind – it was the best way to build a roster for long-term stability. Yeah. And they went away from that for a little bit. And I think it's because they had this quarterback and they knew was near the end. He had guys he wanted to bring back. He had a hand in some of the decisions that they made and he had a say in some of them. And so I think they drifted from that. Now they are firmly back to it where the guys that they drafted and the guys that they're invested in, they're going to be able to sink or swim. And you're going to have to live with the results because in the end, in the long term, this is the way to get the most out of this roster. So I think in some ways, this kind of feels like a return to classic Green Bay Packers yeah. thinking for good or for ill. Yeah, it's the story of this Packers season is going to be the young players, which I think is very fitting for everything you just laid out. And the vibes do seem good. Like it's it's kind of interesting that the Packers and Aaron Rodgers in his own way both had kind of a summer of love. Yeah, like they, they, you know, what I mean, like they kind of, it just felt, it felt like a good breakup. It really did. Um, but it's, uh, it's an interesting team. I really like a lot of the young players, anyways. But it's very Packersy that they're going through this path. It just feels like even the quarterback situation that they're playing a guy that that was on the bench for a few years. They, the Packers have done this before with yeah. Aaron Rodgers. Like it's, it just feels very familiar. Even if it's even kind of in twenty twenty three, it's so unfamiliar. Which yeah. maybe you know, maybe just folk have been been very aware of the Packers my entire life. And it's just kind of interesting to watch this team kind of just do it all over again. And you can see the benefits. We'll talk about their offense and what the strength of their offense is. There's benefits to doing it this way. Like you laid out all those offense alignment. It's just, there's benefits to having these young guys and letting them develop and get reps. And who are the teams that we usually talk about with like rookies doing this way? Packers and the Steelers, right? And maybe like a little bit the Ravens, like, you know, but Packers and Steelers and they've been very successful for a very long time. They're, that's why they're two of the franchises that are talked about like that. I guess I don't really have to ask you what the biggest question you have about the offense is, but what is the biggest question you have about the Packers offense in 2023? Uh, which run cons? No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, the, <laughs> the passing game and Jordan Love. I mean, just that's the questions and hoping to get some answers. And I, I really, the answers I've seen so far have been promising and I'll talk about it in a sec, but I talk, before I get into the passing game is the run game is proven. Like, and, mm-hmm. and it's proven with players that are still there. The O line is proven with depth. Matt LaFleur, to me, is shown that he's a good play caller that can adapt to his personnel. And really, I mean, he's the guy that gave Derrick Henry kind of the, hey, what's use freaking Derrick Henry when he was in Tennessee? <laughs> like, sometimes that's what coaching is. But also just the Packers offense. We talked about the Grace hits 
kind of concepts of merging with him and Aaron Rodgers and what he liked to do. It's the whole kind of Johnny Cash, Rick Rubin thing, like kind of, you know, like it's cover hurt by nine inch nails kind of thing. I, I did not have that written down. It just kind of came to my head, but it's, but honestly, the, the offensive line is a strength. They, this is a top five run unit with no quarterback run game to speak of the last couple of years. It's a true mm-hmm. blue, really good run game. But this passing attack is just obviously so unproven. Not There's concepts that they can lean into, whatever. But you have to see, it's all about Jordan Love. It's all about these young pass catchers. What steps they show. There are glimpses from Christian Watson last year and some other pieces that they have. But the other guys are rookies. And then you have Jordan Love, like you refer to, has played like, 70 plays in his NFL career, like his whole career. So that is it. That is the big question. Let's see what the answers are. What's interesting though, is that this Jordan love is not in his first year within this offense. He's in year four now and he's, he knows this offense and he's actually the veteran in the skill position rooms. Funny, right? He, he has so much more experience within this system than any of the receivers do. And he's never been the starting quarterback. It's just crazy. And so that dynamic is so interesting, but he's been able to, and I talked about him, talked about this with him when I was there. There's so many things within this offense where they're actually asking receivers to read things post snap. And so that's been something that he's tried to walk through with them where, okay, if they're giving you this look, this is how you need to take this. Mm -hmm. So he's actually, despite never having played, been able to help the younger guys along in terms of what they need to do within the passing game which is just a fascinating dynamic. I, right. I can't remember a team doing this to this degree where there is truly no veteran presence in either one of those rooms, in the tight end room and in the wide receiver. No, no, yeah. Not There's like not even like extent. a token guy. No. And th- what they did is they, they looked at all the options mm-hmm. and the thought was we can go get one of those mid-tier Jacoby Myers type receivers and pay him $11 million. But what does that do for us? Right. Like, does that actually move the needle at all, or is this worth and, it? Yeah, and on, on both with both the tight ends and the receivers, and that's what they landed on. And and yep. we'll see. There will be growing pains. There will be a lot of them. But do the benefits outweigh that in the end? I think it does. I I, I assume it does. But that's also you. You know, just go stew. You know, <laughs> that's yeah, oh, yeah. It's, it's just give young players reps. Their their play. You know, their rating goes up. That's how it works in Madden, right? That's how it works in real life too. But yeah, it's uh, you know, progression's not linear. We always say this. Having said that, though, it's a fun group. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, Christian Watson, uh, who I was lower on coming out. I'll, I'll admit that, but he is explosive. The underlying metrics are very positive. Even if he was kind of very designery last year, like they were really. Like, hey, you run these five routes, and I bet you, you get the ball all five times, kind of stuff. But the underlying metrics are very good with him. Um, Romeo Dobbs had flashes, um, just some inconsistency with his hands, but he has gotten. There's been a little bit more nuance with him that's been promising. And then they signed or drafted Jane Reed, who I'm a fan of. Dane Brugger is a fan of. They very useful player. That's what he seems like for me, and he's already looked like that in the preseason, which is cool. I, I kind of gush about tight ends. Can I, can I get into? My Luke Musgrave. You stuff. certainly yeah. can. Yeah, he looks like a star. Uh, but I don't know. This is a tight end. It's a rookie tight end. But that was my going into the draft was I was very high on him because my I think my line on him was he moves different. And looking at him in the NFL, that's what he looks like. He moves he different. Mo- he moves different. He, Even if he moves fast. different as a receiver, though, the amount that they are going to have to put on him as their oh, number yeah. one tight end and 11 personnel, his head is already spinning. I'm and not, sure in a ba- not in a bad way. Just no. in a way that you no. would expect. This is one of those things where when you go find, you do go visit with the team, you realize what they're thinking about and what you're not. 
Tyler Davis was going to mm-hmm. be the third tight end on this team. When they lost Tyler Davis for the season to injury, there's like a real reaction in the building of like, shit, we lost Tyler Davis. <laughs> and it's because he was going to be able to fill some of those role-specific things yeah. that they didn't want to ask the young tight ends to do. It was just taking one thing off of their plate. So now with him gone, everything is on Luke Musgrave's yeah. plate. And there's just no way as a tight end to handle all of those things no. well immediately as a rookie. So even if the ceiling is extremely high, and even if a lot of people are justifiably excited about his pass catching role this year, it is going to be uneven at times this season. Oh, it's yeah. important to know that every rookie tight end, it's it's I don't know, it's so so hard. Unless you're like Kyle Pitts got a thousand yards because they narrowed his role down. Hey, he's you're a receiver. Blocky. He's a receiver. Yeah, <laughs> yes. just split out wide, and we're designing plays for you, like Musgrave. Like, and you could tell they love him. Like before, just won't shut up about him. Uh, they, but. He's in every snap. And this is a guy that really hasn't finished an entire college season. He played two games last year. Like he hasn't gone through a 10 game season, not much less 17 game NFL season. So just physically it's exhausting. But then, like you said, mentally it's, it's a lot to ask these tight ends. It's really cool what he's been doing. They designed jet sweep for him. They're have, they, what's really been promising is in line. He looks like a good blocker, Like he's already better than what he showed in college. It's like, Oh Yeah. But again, rookie tight end. And then the number two tight end is a rookie. So you got. Who's even raw. Even raw from, from South, South Dakota, Dakota State. South Dakota State. It, it, that, Very that's, bullish on him, but that's like a whatever project. Whatever you get from him, that's it's a project. Oh, it is a long term project. He is a project. project. Yeah. So there's I'm a lot. Him, but that is way, I know that's way down the road. But yeah. So you have a rookie slot, a rookie top two tight ends, a second year receiver, and a second year receiver, and a first year starting quarterback or first time starting quarterback. That's the skill positions right now. Good running backs, though. <laughs> a lot more juice than they've had in previous years, and I think yes. that, that will express itself within the offense. And, and remember, I was asking about, well, what will be different with Jordan there? It's like, well, Jordan's not the only thing that's different. You know, I think that's important to understand yep. that it, you're, everyone's going to put it, the offense from last year in one bucket and the offense from this year in another, and they're going to describe that difference just because of the quarterback. But that's not the case. They have more speed. I think that they will use utilize that speed in kind of new, interesting ways. But the quarterback changes is the most important thing. So Absolutely. the last thing I wanted to ask you was, what do you think the offense will do differently with Jordan Love? What things will they lean on maybe that they didn't with Aaron Rodgers in a Matt LaFleur offense? I think they'll sprinkle in some run game with him because I think he is a good athlete for his size. I, I think really it's I, – I would make the joke about Rodgers having the performative deep balls, but I, I think uh, Love is going to be really willing to push the ball maybe more than – Rodgers would pick and choose his spots – I think Love will have more volume on those kind of maybe intermediate and deep throws, especially over the middle. I think Love is better. We've already seen it. We've already yeah. seen it in the preseason. Oh, right away. He's taken every shot one-on-one on, outside the numbers. And and goes. Yeah, that they've, he's launching. Every time they've been single high outside the numbers, he's taken his one-on-ones. Oh, yeah. And then he has not been afraid to rip those intermediate play-action shots over the middle. He tried a no-look overthrow already. He, he's, he's feeling it. He's he's feeling it like he he gave a fade signal to Christian Watson already like in the, in the preseason I, I was going Gaga over Rogers and Garrett Wilson doing that Love and Christian Watson were doing it too in the preseason that's promising that they're he's comfortable that they and they give him license to do that that's not usually that's a quarterback we have to you know it's like your license to kill kind of like okay we have to we're gonna give this to you but like. They gave it to him already, which I mean, obviously isn't, you know, he's a veteran already, but he hasn't started. So it's, yeah, I, I think it's just more verticalness, more aggressiveness, really. I, I think Love can do a lot. I'm pretty optimistic about him. Uh, I'll talk I more so. about I, him. I am too. I actually I, am too. 
I'm telling you, I've referred to this like 20 times, but went to that one practice and how they talked about him and how he looked. I was like, oh, like that. I think they were surprised that he improved so much. They're like, oh, this is working. Uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty optimistic about what he'll do this year and what this offense. This offense will have some growing pains, obviously, but they got a good line and they got a good run game. And sorry, last point I'll make is because the line I think is so good and so deep. That, I think, benefits the young quarterback so much, or the inexperienced quarterback, is now he can actually go through progressions and do his job, as opposed to going like, I know my right guard, my right side's caving in, I gotta, I gotta get rid of this ball in two seconds. So actually being able to do what he wants to do is going to be huge for him. So again, that's why I'm a little bit optimistic about them. One question about the offensive line is, I think, how the tackles all shake out. So Zach Tom <laughs> is nominally the starting right tackle for this team little undersized you know but he's shown very well there's a reason that he's gotten that spot they might try him at center that's why so i i think they like josh myers more than people from outside the building think they like josh myers Mm. so i think tom will be their starting right tackle if he's a starter on the line and myers just has the mistakes i think that's what frustrates him i think ability wise he's fine it's just that he'll have the bad snap or he misses something and i think that's worse maybe some of their negativity comes through my question is, what happens with Nyman if Zach Tom oh, ends up being the starter? I have to imagine they'll hang on to him just because Bakhtiari's health is such a question yeah. that you'd rather protect yourself. Even if you're paying $4 million to a swing tackle, it's almost more valuable than a fifth-round pick would Absolutely. be or whatever team would trade for him because Bakhtiari, he's practicing once a week. You know, it's just he's at that stage of he's his like, career where it's just hard to rely on him staying healthy. He like might not even play on turf games. Like he, he he's like very adamant about it. So yeah, no, I I think I think having a swing. I mean, O line health is what we talk about all the time is such a key to success. So uh, the you don't you don't give away depth at O line. I I just am a big believer that you keep as many assets as you can. Biggest question about the Packers defense this season. What do you got for me? Can they actually do their part? Uh, there's a lot of a lot of pedigree. Uh, and some talent on this defense. A lot of ones next to these names. A lot of first-round picks littered throughout this defense. Um, can they can they actually be something? Can they stop the run? Can they actually slow offenses down? Can they create pressure? Can they just be an aggressive unit that kind of really dictates games? I, I think maybe is the moral of my my story. Um, I like a lot of their, a lot of their players. Uh, there's some really Chair Alexander is obviously awesome, but there's other pieces on this defense. But how does it all come together? Can they become the sum of their parts as opposed to all these maybe high draft picks that they've had in the past? That's the question. That missing element, that essence that they just have not had over the last couple of years, can they get that back? Yep. They're 29th in early down run defense success rate last year. Okay. They played man coverage on 20.6% of their third downs, which is 28th in the league. It was just a passive defense. Passive, it has yeah. been a passive defense. And can you get some of that ass-kicking mentality somewhere along the way? Can that creep into the structure of how you play? Is it some? Is it a personality of a player? Rashawn Gary is that for them. And I think they really missed him last year after he got hurt. Not just because he was the most disruptive pass rusher on their team and one of the most disruptive pass rushers in the league. He's going to get a contract that's in the same range as like Miles Garrett and TJ Watt and all those guys this offseason. And people are going to be like, holy shit. But that's that's going to happen. Watch him. (laughs) That is going to happen. And beyond what he does as a pass rusher, I think his physicality really brings something to this defense. Mm -hmm. He, He came back to start practicing, I think, the day before I got there. And... Somebody told me that the young pass rushers and just the young pieces on defense in general, when when they watched him practice, it was one of those like, oh, my God, right. type type of moments. And I, and I think that he really does 
means something to that team, not even just in terms of the actual impact that he has on the field, but just even more than that. Like there's there's a kind of intangible quality to what he brings to them. And I think that him being back healthy this season, you'll maybe see a little bit more of that. But I also think the the youth all across the defense, all of these young players, adding Lucas Van Ness as a first-round pick, yeah. some of the, the youth that they have at some of these other spots, I think that there's like a hunger there across mm-hmm. the roster that maybe there hasn't been over the last couple of years as they've been a little bit older in some of these positions. And I think that they're hoping – that manifests in the way that this unit plays. Yeah, I think also sometimes when you're a team that maybe the star is the quarterback in the offense and you just always feel like the punching bag, like yeah. even like local media, I know it's Green Bay, but still, but uh, media just kind of getting on you or public getting on you and kind of like, well, do your part. Well, you know, Aaron just threw four touchdowns and you guys lost the game. Like, and that can really add, like that can add up. That can make you just lose confidence as a unit. So, but I, hold on real quick with the Sean Gary stuff. You're talking about why he might get paid. He's like second pressure rate of only behind Micah Parsons since 2020. And he was second last year. Like when, if you do enough qualifying snaps for him, he's, he's awesome. <laughs> he's just, he came back from injury. He's in 10 a really months. good player. He came he's back from really an ACL in 10 months and he's practicing like full go like that. Bakhtiari has been like two and a half years. He's, he's still sitting out practices. Like, I mean, that's that's a really significant thing. But really just this, how I kind of put this defense was how they figure out to be weaponized. Like what mm-hmm. is the, what, what is, how do they impose their will on the offense? You talk about them being passive. That shows up in the run game. That shows how defense offenses can matriculate them, matriculate down the field on them on a passing game. I got to stop using that phrase. But <laughs> getting down the field on them in the run game or in the pass game, but they need guys to like just be disruptive. So can they get something out of Devontae Wyatt, who's their first round pick last year? I think who, the answer to that is yes. So I, I have yeah. We'll talk about him in a second, but okay. I think the answer to that is yes. They okay. need something more out of him. They need something more out of the linebackers. I, I yes. think that they'll just be less passive this year. I think yeah. this is another one of those teams with an offensive minded head coach who's just getting tired of punch getting t- punched in the face. Sure. So I just you, we and I think you'll see more man coverage on third down. I think you'll see more blitzing on third down. I think you'll just see them forcing the issue more this season than they were willing to over the last couple of years because they're just tired of getting beat up in, in those exact situations because yep. they have the players. It's just a mindset thing and it's just everything coming together. And that's yep. easier said than done. But I do think that they have the talent on that side of the ball that if it all clicks, then they can be really, really good in every single facet. And there's already indicators is that they, um, they're running more man coverage in preseason. Like they're already, there's an uptick in that. So it's funny you say that because they're already showing it. They're, you can say all you want in preseason. And that's how you got to weaponize. If you got yeah, Jair Alexander, to, fucking weaponize that guy. Man coverage. Like let, let, let's weaponize these pieces. And yep. there, there are some questions personnel wise. They're worth mentioning. Okay. Back end. Keyshawn Nixon is starting at their nickel. He's never been a real defensive player. He's been a kick returner. He's a starting nickel right now. And then it's safety. You got Darnell Savage, who's had a very – it's been an adventure down. the last couple of years. Yeah. And he got benched at one point last year, and this is a team that needed safeties. And then now you have Rudy Ford and Jonathan Owens kind of fighting for that other spot. So that second safety spot and really both safety spots, worth mentioning. But other than that, this is a team that has a lot of talent in the front yeah. seven and at every other spot. Eric Stokes is on pup, but he, this is a guy who showed real flashes as mm-hmm. a rookie. So if he comes back at corner – you slide Russell Douglas inside potentially again. You know what does that group look like? There are timelines where this is a very good defense, but yeah. now you got to see it. And they did not replace and Joe Barry this offseason. And I think that the hope is 
with a couple tweaks here and there, it doesn't feel like the same sort of unit it has over the last couple of years. And Amos was such a steadying force for them on the back end that puts mm-hmm. so much on their safeties. That's the thing with Savage. He's a good athlete, but he's kind of not quick to use it. The game's a little fast for him, always on the back end. He got much better way late in the season when they used him as the nickel, as the slot. And so that was interesting, but then they're not kind of leaning into that as much because of what you said with all the depth stuff. So that is that is something they have to answer, especially how this defense wants to use or how it works. So if they do do man coverage, though, he might be the man coverage guy on the tight end. Actually, I don't hate that. So now she's kind of putting that together. X factor for the Green Bay Packers. Not even sure we have to say it. Yeah, Jordan Love. <laughs> that, that, that's it. it. It is the starting quarterback that is replacing Aaron Rodgers that we've never really seen play before. Who, I mean, they haven't had a question at quarterback in, since basically we've been, I've been yeah. born. Yeah. Since yeah. I was three. Yes. Since I've been Four. born. So let, 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 keep telling me. They, the, the Packers traded for Brett Favre when I was three and a half years old. Okay. Yes. I, was I, say, I yeah. turned 36 on Saturday. It's just been straight. And it's like, you know, Brett Favre missed he, a lot of games. Good, so, you know, good. you had, oh, I know. Justice Mosquito is already taking victory laps. I don't know what I'm going to do. I know. And offensive line depth too, which is also the funny thing too. They've always had answers there. (laughs) It's always, yeah. They're always just a funhouse mirror version of the Bears. Breakout candidate for the Packers. What do you got? I actually stuck with Jordan Love here. I actually, I, I, (laughs) the double, (laughs) the double. I I haven't done a double yet, but I'm double dipping here. Uh, I'm high on him, guys. I'm not saying superstar or anything like that. He is. He's showing some really improved footwork from college. I, obviously, it's been a few years since he's been at Utah State, but man, he's got some real zip on the arm. He is anticipating. He's reading the game. I know it's preseason, but even what he's showing the flashes against the Eagles last year in the couple series he got there, it, it's, I don't know. I, I, the, I think the arrow is really pointing up for him like that. I think this thing might go okay at the very least. There, there's some real deal stuff with him. He's got some real juice in his arm and as an athlete. Yeah. I'm yeah. I think he's going to break out and be okay. Two young first round pick quarterbacks that I think are going to be better than people probably would have expected when we were talking about them this spring. Jordan Love is one of them. Kenny Pickett is the other. Yeah. I I think that those offenses have a chance because the question with those offenses is what are we getting from the quarterback? Quarterback. If the quarterback ends up being pretty good, the other pieces are in place for those units to be. And I obviously, obviously have much more faith in Matt Lafleur as a play caller than I do in Matt Canada. But personnel wise, that's yeah. the main question: is the quarterback. And I think. Both of those teams, if their quarterback can hit the ground running, those offenses could be much better than we anticipate. And I think that's the case for the Steelers, and I think it's the case for the Packers. Absolutely. Which is funny that we mentioned them before as the franchises and everything, and look where they're at yeah, right Exactly. Now. Exactly. God. My break, I got Devontae Wyatt. Second nice. year, I think he's just really, you know, based on what I heard when I was up there, really kind of settled in how to be a pro. I think they just expect a lot more from him this year as a first-round okay. pick. And that that's helpful because they yeah. haven't had much help for Kenny Clark in recent years. And if Devontae Wye can be one of those guys, they just have more youth and more depth at those pass rusher spots with him and Van Ness and all the other pieces that they have. I think that the front seven has a chance to be pretty good. I like that. What is success for the 2023 Packers? Is Jordan Love the guy? Are the young pieces our new kind of building blocks? And do we yeah, do we feel happy with what we've seen? That that's really it. Again, I don't even I'm think you need to put a win total on it. I don't think no. you need to put an end game on it. Nope. I literally said confirmation Jordan Love is a dude, progress from the young pieces. Done. That's it. That that's is it. that is success for the Packers. Just I I'm buying the stock though. I'll just end it with that. I am buying stock right now, the Packers. Twenty twenty three preview for the Chicago Bears. We are in year two. Of the Ryan Poles rebuild, the roster's in so much better shape 
than it was at this time last year. Think about the receivers they were trotting out there. It was it was a disaster, but we always knew it was going to. This is a two the studs teardown, and it was even more of a two the studs teardown into the year. They trade Robert Quinn. They trade Roquan Smith. You understand it. I understand all the moves that they've made for the most part. You bring in DJ Moore as part of the Carolina trade. You have other receiving options within the room that you didn't even have last year. They sign Nate Davis in free agency. They draft Darnell Wright with a 10th overall pick. They have made moves to make sure that the offense is in good enough shape to evaluate the quarterback while you start taking swings on a very young defense. In the aggregate, it all makes sense to me as part of this rebuilding plan. Now it just has to happen. Yeah. Uh, they You bottom out, get the first pick, and that usually marks – a kind of new chapter for a team and a franchise. Usually you take a quarterback to do that. They trade it out of it, but that's kind of shows where this team's at, especially at that position. They got plenty of first round picks next year, buddy. They do do something with them. And I don't know if you watch the Panthers this preseason, but, but I think Chicago fans are be watching a lot of Panthers games this year. But uh, I also just, it's, that's what the plan was. It's usually when teams bottom out like that, it's like, okay, we bring in the new regime. They're in year two of it, knowing that that's what they had to do. They had to. We talk about and focus a lot on Justin Fields, and I'm sure we will right now, but you also have to – all his supporting cast was not NFL quality, but also the entire defense, especially post Rokon Smith trade last year where it was bad. It was, it was an it was XFL bad, team. Bad. I mean, they, it was it, bad. They, Just it was not a professional football team on that no. side of the football – on that side. And they, they, I think they understood that. They knew and that. And you're willing to live with that. And that's okay because it gets you the number one pick and then you get to trade it for a boatload of stuff and hopefully that puts you in the right place. And and that's where they are right now. Yeah. Biggest question about the Chicago Bears offense in 2023. (laughs) Not even sure we have to ask it. Yeah. It's what what are we getting out of the fields? What what is he? What are you? Uh, How many excuses can I make for him this year? That's (laughs) that's uh, that's I want to I want to lower that and just actually get some more definitive answers on him. And I think that's, that's how the Bears feel about it is now we give him some semblance of a supporting cast that that's improved at least some pass catchers and some stuff up front and maybe just a narrowing down of focus for scheme and let's go. What what do we actually have with you as opposed to maybe like, Oh, just the glimpses. Can we get some consistency out of you? That's the biggest question. I mean, that's can decide so much in Chicago land. I mean, that's just so huge as, as I I know I'm preaching to the choir with this, but it's honestly, it's just such a huge thing with this team and just where everything's going to go from here. All that matters. All it is fine, getting an answer on him by the end of the season, whatever that answer ends up being. I was talking to Kevin Fishbane about this on the going camping shows that we were doing when I was at camp. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, the worst case scenario is that if the Justin Fields is really bad and whatever else I said, I, no, the it's worst case scenario is that you don't know. The worst case scenario is that you get to the end of this season and you're hemming and hawing about whether he's a guy worth committing to. And then that paralysis affects what you can do in this year's draft. And then you miss your shot to potentially take the off ramp to a quarterback. That's the worst case scenario. Yep. So you want an answer by the end of this sh- end of this year, one way or the other. And that's what the offensive thoughts of the offseason was designed to do was to get you that answer. So they go out, they make the moves along the offensive line. They go get DJ Moore. My concern with this before we get into fields at all. Mm-hmm. is what that supporting cast already looks like compared to what it was supposed to look like. Tevin Jenkins is hurt. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be their starting left guard. He is not going to play during the start of the regular season. They don't know how long he's going to be out. So that means Cody Whitehair is slide to guard, and now Lucas Patrick is back playing center. We're already in a bad spot, okay? Yep. Before the season even starts, you're moving pieces around in the third week of August 
with your offensive line that has never really played together before, and you're just taking, you're chipping away at that case for the offensive line being better before things even get going. Nate Davis, who they signed in free agency, has barely practiced. And there's no actual explanation as to why. There's been no reasoning. Like They haven't said he's hurt or whether it's something beyond that. So that's really strange. Mm -hmm. And then you have a, a rookie at right tackle who has not really practiced with the guy who he's playing next to before they head into the season. This is not great. And he got banged hey, up. Yes, and he's <laughs> and he's gotten banged up. The, the, so this is not a good note on which to start. No. With the offensive line being a key reason for why this was supposed to be better. Okay, and even when they're healthy, it was averageish at best. Yes, that's yes. it yes, was that. serviceable. Functional was what you were yep. trying to get to, and you hope that you're going to have a step forward from the second year left tackle who had some flashes as a rookie yep. as a fifth round pick, but has a long way to go. But that is another question mark. So that's the issue up there. Receivers, I think they'll probably be fine, right? Yeah. It's a better group than it's been. DJ Moore is a good player. The field stuff, even if you're trying to take the most optimistic view of it, some of the stats, and we've gone over a lot of them before, boy, are they troubling, okay? Mm-hmm. Among quarterbacks with at least 200 dropbacks since 2000, only three guys have posted a sack rate of at least 14% in a season. Three. Justin Fields last season, Andrew Walter in 2006, and Derek Carr in in 2002. That notorious Derek Carr season. David Carr. That notorious David Carr season with the Texans. It has happened three times. Next one. If you remove scrambles, Justin Fields finished dead last in EPA per dropback last season in the NFL. The number that he hit is among the 14 worst seasons since 2000 for quarterbacks if you remove scrambles some of the seasons involved in that list mark sanchez's rookie year josh rosen's rookie year deshaun kaiser's rookie year blaine gabbert's rookie year blake bortles's rookie year mark sanchez's rookie year carson wentz in 2020 remember that year Mm, that was a lot of fun 2005 kyle orton bears fans Mm. will remember that season where the defense was incredible and the offense couldn't move the ball this, this this, is, so that also doesn't narrow it down for Bears fans. <laughs> this, this is what we're talking about here. Yeah. Even if he's going to take a step forward, even if you hope he can take a step forward, where he's starting from with some of these underlying numbers is troubling. Yeah. So what does the step forward do and where does the step forward leave you, even if it happens, I think becomes the most important question. It is. It's he has to, has to, and rewatching him, you still see the flashes, of course, with the, the the using his legs and everything, and even pushing the ball downfield. But he has has to to be an NFL starter, to like be a a guy that you can build around. Has to accomplish the simple plays, just has to. There's there's can't be any more compounding bad plays and making just uh, catastrophic ones. And I know sometimes he, he has gotten better at trying to, I always use the term big game hunter at trying to limit some of those bad plays, but still there it's in his nature as a player. Uh, but also just when I say simple plays underneath throws, um, can you improve timing, anticipation, all the little that, things you those, those, see. That's my biggest question. It, it is the timing. It is playing with just better rhythm and timing and anticipation rhythm. consistently because it just hasn't happened often enough. It hasn't. Yeah. That they condensed the offense so much for him last year, and it still was problematic when you'd see him in dropback situations near the end of the season. Everyone thinks that it was just this straight line up, 
after that game against the Patriots on Monday night when they switched to that kind of quarterback. Oh, my God. Game. There were some the, bad games after that. The last couple games of the season, the games they played against the Falcons and the Lions, those were rough games. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people were watching those. I was watching those. Those were rough games. And so it's not like this ended the season on this incredibly high note. Yeah. There, he has to go so far to be a quarter. If you, Let's say that you get – let's say the Panthers get the fifth – they get the fifth pick from the Panthers and the seventh pick from them. He has to go so far for you not to try to use those picks to go get one of these quarterback prospects. And I think it's really, really important to keep reminding people of that. Yes. Uh, I think a I lot think... of people don't see it that way. No, they don't. And th- like being average throwing the ball would be a incredible, like you were just saying, you're oh my that, God. just incredible improvement. And I think people are going... I, I went on a show last spring and it was just uh, Hogan Johnson. And they asked like what, how many total yards or how many passing yards would be uh, like a good year for Justin Fields. And I went upper two thousands. If he breaks 3000, that's a huge year for him. And bears fans were mad at me. Like they said only 3000 yards. Are you kidding me? And it's like, that would be such a gigantic improvement for him. That was just start with step one. So like even for bears fans, I'm, I, I'm a Fields defender. I, I like a lot of the traits that Fields has. He has to get better at actual quarterback play, meaning just the little things of staying on schedule and sometimes just eating a throw or taking a smart play, throwing it away. Has he done that a little bit better? Yes, he has, but it needs to get loads better. It needs to get to like where that's like a real thing where you're not worried about him just compounding mistakes. And I, I don't want to like, it, it, this is it, this can come across as like a backhanded compliment, but him and, and Daniel Jones are cut from the same cloth. And I mean that I think Fields has way more talent than, than Jones. I'm sorry, Giants fans, but he does as far as a runner and even just maybe some of the, the throwing traits that he has. But as far as timing, holding on the ball too long, some best pushing the ball, best using their legs, sometimes having to narrow down the field for them with play action and nakeds and maybe just one point and shoot concepts. Their strengths are very similar and their weaknesses are very similar. They'll compound mistakes. I think what the Giants did last year was amazing for Daniel Jones and just narrowing what he does. That's what Fields needs right now. Is that someone you invest in or not? I don't know. You have to see how it looks. I think, he again, he's a better athlete and a better tier of player than Jones. That's my estimation. But that's the type of player that you have to make him out to be. And that that's where you're going to get the most out of him. Is that what you want to invest in? You have to see. Narrowing the focus is a great way to put it. They, they really did such a good job of creating kind of a, a keyhole that Daniel Jones saw yeah. the game through last year in a good way. And I think that there are things within the Bears offense, the way they read stuff, where the progressions are such that they're putting a lot on him. They're not yeah. narrowing anything. These are full field, like pure progression reads within this system. And even if they've tweaked the quarterback run game to a place that better suits him. I think mm-hmm. there's still elements of the passing game where it's you're going to do it or you're not, buddy. Like we're, we're not putting the training wheels on you here. And that may not be the best approach, but I think it's going to tell you a lot about him by the yeah. end of this. And, and it might and it might be his by all accounts. Justin, Justin Fields is very smart and, and works at this really hard. It's it might be for me where I'm just like scared of it. And you never know how these guys all of a sudden they, a light bulb turns on and they just go, oh, and it clicks for them. But that's the thing. That's playing with fire. <laughs> you again, we're, I, I you're betting on something those, that's so I don't so think hard. that happens very often. I think that you there don't are elements do. that I don't. No, I don't, no, don't. I, yes, yes, yes. No, I, that no, does not. It does not. Ha- it's, it's very the, hard. When it's the feel and the pocket stuff, yeah. when, when it is the stuff that it's just about 
just innate these, sense. Yes, just these this and these innate qualities. Yeah. That does it doesn't happen with those things. Yeah. You can get maybe a little bit more accurate uh, things of that nature, but for the most part, I don't think you sense the game better with time. And that's my concern about him is that I think his sense for when things get muddy and when things get really dirty in the pocket is not very good. And I just don't know how much better that stuff is going to get. I, I I will be th- so thrilled if it does. Oh, but yeah. I, just, I just think that it is so far for him to go in some of those areas that it's going to be a really difficult thing to climb. Yes. It, I mean, it's not often you say get down to a single digit sack rate, but for him, like that'd be just an amazing improvement. And that's, that's the thing is that the negative is so negative with him. And again, I, I still still like Justin Fields. I do. And so any Bears fans that are going, what the fuck happened? <laughs> it's no, I still like him. It's just that you have to understand what he has shown and what he can handle. And that's what usually a player entering year three, uh, there's what's the line? Like the leopard doesn't change its spots like that. That's kind of what you're figuring out with this player. And it's that's what you have to hone in on and figure out, okay, this is exactly what he's good at. Now, I, why I was always, I just want to say this, why I was high on Fields is because his toolbox is extraordinary as far as an athlete and like his throwing ability when he does get hot and the throws that he can make on the move and all those types of things. But right now it's like, okay, now we just need to see that for a whole drive as opposed not even just one play of it. And that's where you, yeah, I don't know. I want to see it. That's why I'm kind of just kind of staying in the middle here because I just want to see it before I kind of like go either direction in the regular season. Cause in the preseason, all we've seen is freaking like two screen balls and like, one scramble route to DJ Moore that was pretty sweet, but you don't see much uh, in the preseason, so it has to happen in the regular season. The hope is that going and getting a guy like DJ Moore creates more trust in yeah. who you're throwing the ball to, and that allows you to play faster. That is the hope, and that is what it has done for some other guys. Mm-hmm. When you have AJ Brown and when you have Stephon Diggs, it's those moments where, ah, eh, should I throw this? That doesn't even come into play because you're throwing it. Look yeah. at what Jalen Hurts did last year with A.J. Brown. Look at the positions that they put him in, and look at how quickly he was making some of those decisions because of who he was throwing the football to. That matters. When you yeah. have a ton of trust in the number one read in a progression with a true number one receiver, you can play faster. It's possible. There, there are reasons for justifiable optimism here, but it's really important to put into context just how far he would have to go to get there. That's it. I understand that, it, and if it happened, I, I wouldn't necessarily be shocked, but it's important to be realistic with this. I'm going to take a one-play sample size here to uh, talk about what you're saying when you have a number one guy and knowing to go with him. They had one snap of man coverage on third down this preseason. Justin Fields targeted DJ Moore. So it's it's That's, that's the exact situation I was talking about with AJ Brown. Third down, man coverage, let the ball rip. Take him. Go throw it to your guy. That, take that, him. It, and that's if, it. That that's the most. If that is one element of this offense, that yep. hopefully is reasons that they can take a step forward. But again, yep. it, it's a long way to go. Awesome. I also want to give out uh, before we get to the defense, Roshan Johnson. I just I just want to say I've accumulated all stock I can on him <laughs> in real life and maybe fantasy wise too. But really like him. Yeah, I think he's doing some nice things this preseason. But I'm excited think, about him. He's, I'm very he's excited good, about him. Good football player. I, I I love him. Just I love any guy that can just step in and be pass pro. Good at pass pro right away. Yeah, you're my type of guy. Biggest question about the Bears defense this season. Um, like who are the building blocks? That that that's it. It's what are what any of these guys are real football players that we just drafted. I know we signed the linebackers, uh Jaquan Brisker, there's some vets in the back end that we kind of like, but then 
Who do we have up front? Do we have any pass rush? Do we have any needle movers that we're excited about in the years to come? That That's the biggest question. I think scheme-wise, what Iberflus was doing was actually very interesting in this defensive staff. I'm actually very optimistic. I also want to say that. Very optimistic about this coaching staff as a whole. I, I like both sides of the ball. I like Luke Getzey. I like Matt Iberflus. I, I like a lot of their coaches. Um, but I just, you know, what does it look like with a little bit better talent? They, they still have a long ways to go before I think this side of the ball has NFL quality talent. But what are those building blocks? What is it? What 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 is it going to look like now that actually has players that can maybe make an effect on the game? Can you leave this season with five to six of those guys that you feel good about? That that would be a huge. That's a good way to put it. Britt Brisker, Kyler Gordon, Tyreek Stevenson, who they drafted in the second round of corner, mm-hmm. he's going to start for them. Gravon Dexter and Zach Picks, Zach Pickens, both of whom are second round picks this year. Jalen Johnson. Can you leave this with? five to six guys under the age of like 24 that you feel like you yep. can build around on defense. That would be yeah, a huge one. Tremaine Edmonds is a young player. Yep. Like, can this be a young, exciting group by the end of the year? That's it. That, I, I will say is like, they, they do have question marks throughout the whole team really, but the defense is, I like where the spine of this defense might be going, which is mm-hmm. hugely important in this defense. <laughs> and the Eberflus defense is having that spine. We talk about it all the time, the sometimes the negative with teams maybe like the Chargers or something like that. But the young defensive tackles, Zach Pickens has a look nice this preseason, especially in the run game. The linebackers that they invested in, and then Brisker and Eddie Johnson. Eddie Johnson, you know, is getting older, but Eddie Brisker Johnson. at yeah. What did I say? Tyler. Eddie Johnson. Eddie Johnson. <laughs> Not Ernie Johnson, at least. Uh, but it's but having on the back end, Brisker, I think, is a plus player already. Um, so I do like the spine and where the direction of that's going. Kyler, Kyler Gordon, Kyler Gordon, Kyler Gordon, yes, is in the slot now, which I think is his best role. And it looks like this preseason that he's been there about three quarters of his snaps. So yeah, that's like, okay. that's that's his spot. And I that's think with that's what he was on at Washington. Outside. Yep, that's why yeah, that's I, what I played last liked year. him. Yeah, so, I, liked, yeah. I liked him coming out of Washington. They, yeah, they kind of mixed him in and out. I think because of injuries and stuff too. But slots. His specialty, which is him and his Washington teammate uh, McDuffie, is kind of funny that they're both both best at the same thing. The way that they built the defense, they had those three second round picks this year. You trade Roquan, you get one in the in the Panthers trade, and they're just betting on traits in the second round on yep. defensive players, just trying to load this thing with young athletic pieces that can get coached up. And you have that in the draft, and then you go get Edmonds, who's supposed to be this skeleton key type option that can kind of unlock the way that Ibrahimus wants to play. Uh, you, you get the plan. But it's still very young, and again, I think it's still under, about understanding you're in step one or step two of this, not in step five, and that's okay. It's very okay on this side of the ball. You took the one step up of the, the first step, and you're halfway up to the second step. That's where this team is right now. Like they're not even the foot's not down. It's halfway up to make that next step. X factor for Chicago Bears. Who do you got? Justin Fields. That's, yeah, that's. I I said the offensive line just because it, I didn't want to say Fields because I knew you but, would. But the the <laughs> offensive line being healthy. <laughs> and yeah. the the offensive line like actually coming together and them getting but, those players on the field that that to me is the biggest thing outside but of fields. It's so tied together because the yes. thing that makes Justin Fields' weaknesses compound is interior pressure. And what have you laid out that they have no depth and have already have moving sh- moving pieces already? The interior of the offensive line. So that is. Yeah, that's a huge giant X factor. From all accounts, uh, Jatiree Carter has had a pretty solid uh, preseason. He was a seventh mm-hmm. round pick last year. He's going to be the guard depth. So hopefully, if that they need him to step into one of those spots, he's able to. It, but right now, I mean, Cody Whitehair can't even play center because he's got a cast on his hand. Like that. That's all the things that are kind of compounding right now, which is not great. It's not breakout candidate for the twenty twenty three Bears. Who do you got? Uh, Jaquan Brisker uh, really liked him, liked him coming out of Penn State, liked him all last year, even if he did 
blow the one play against the Eagles <laughs> when he went into the wrong gap on a blitz where they actually had it dialed up perfectly. Uh, but this guy's awesome. I think he's going to be a, a standout bear for a decade. I really, I'm calling my shot oh, with him. God, he, I hope but so. He is just good, man. Just a good football player, smart blitzer coverage run. He, he's just great. Really just a, I think can be a centerpiece of that defense for a long time to come. I hope you're right. I was going to pick him, but I knew you would. So I <laughs> didn't you. do that. Uh, I'm going to go with Demarcus Walker. Demarcus Walker is somebody the bears spent a decent amount of money on in free agency. It's not somebody that I think a lot of people probably tabbed as like a big ticket free agent item. I don't think he moved the needle for a lot of bears fans. He was a rotational piece for the Titans last year. It was like mm-hmm. a 28 year old pass rusher. And he was incredibly effective on a per snap basis. And I went back when I was watching, rewatching the Chargers offense before going to their camp. And I think the Jags offense as well. And I liked watching teams against the Titans because I think the Titans always have a sound plan for the offenses they're playing against. So I think it's a good defense against which to study an offense. So I went back and I'm watching all these Titans games and I'm looking at number 95 and I'm like, this guy just has a lot of juice. He's lined up inside. He's lined up on the edge. He's just constantly jumping off the screen. And he signed like a $7 million a year deal to be a starter for the Bears, but really just a mid-tier pass rusher in free agency. And I think he's going to surprise some people. I think he's going to be somebody that just has a much better season than maybe people outside Chicago are thinking because they don't even know who Demarcus Walker is. So that's who I'm going to go with. I like that. They they need those pieces though. Yes, <laughs> they need yes. everything. They, they need and everything. they signed Yannick Ngakwe. I still think the pass yeah. rush is a work in progress. Yeah. But I'm excited about Demarcus Walker. Oh I was incredibly oh impressed with him. When not I went if you watched him last year. Not if you watched Travis Gibson throughout the entire preseason just absolutely throttle offensive lines. Like I don't He's know. Like, I'm gonna make the team. That's unreal. Like what happened? <laughs> He had his Wheaties a couple of those games. I think it, the the uh, scheme just switch to the four it, three it's just a lot of different him. complicating factors. He's a three. So. He's a three four Sam or, or uh, three Which down. Somebody should trade for him. Somebody absolutely, absolutely should trade for him as a rotational <laughs> pass rusher. Preferably a day two pick. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Listen, if you want to give him a third round pick for Drews Gibson, we're fine with that. What is success for the 2023 Bears? Good God. <laughs> Getting an answer on Justin Fields that that I think is a success. I don't. I even say a good answer. I think a definitive answer is that's it. And knowing where I you, no, put the I have nothing down. to add. I yeah. have absolutely nothing to add. That's exactly how I feel. That's it. All right. But I haven't said all, all that. I do. I do like a lot with a lot of things that the Bears are doing. But it's just they have a couple more steps to go. <laughs> I'm with you. I think yep. the process and, and the moves that they've made. I get the plan. The plan makes sense to me. It does. It, and they've, they've done a very good job. I think there are a couple of moves you can quibble with. You know, the, yeah. the Chase Claypool trade was definitely over-aggressive, things like right. that. But I, I get why they've done what they've done. It's all made sense. I, yes. I, I think that's – I know it sounds like a like a slap, but it's actually a compliment. It's better than some other teams, that uh, some moves they make. All right. That's all we got. Thank you very much for listening. If you guys have not gone out and checked checked out the first episode of In the Pocket – our new weekly podcast with Chase Daniel. That is now live on your on YouTube and in your podcast feed. That will be coming your way every Thursday during the NFL season. Incredibly excited about that. Chase and I talked about the biggest quarterback questions that he had heading into 2023. So please go check that out. Tomorrow, please listen to Prospects to Pros with Nate and our good buddy, Dan Brugler, talking about some second-year players. Looking forward to 
just what those guys have done and checking in with them this year, I assume, is what you guys are talking about. Yep, NFC. Uh, Second-year players and rookies. Uh, Perfect. A little grab back. That is all we've got for now. We will be back on Friday with our final division preview doing the NFC East. For now, appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.